Thank you to the worship team, and uh, welcome to 2020, or I should say 2020. I guess that's how we're going to refer to this. 2020 is a little more catchy, so welcome to 2020. And uh, first Sunday of the new year, which is always exciting. Uh, lots of potential. I was thinking on just on this past year and the ways that God has blessed me and blessed our church, and we have so much to be thankful for, and we look forward to what God is going to do in this upcoming year, and it's going to be a great time together. Uh, I hope you had a good New Year's. Uh, We had a great New Year's. My parents had come into town, and they wanted to go to the Rose Parade, and so we got tickets to go to the Rose Parade, and it was a Wonderful thing, but uh, we got tickets because you know you can camp out on, on the street and go for free, but my parents didn't want to get up super early, and they were paying for it, so I said, I'll order tickets, and uh, so we got tickets. We were in the stands and great seats, and uh, uh, even though we had uh, reserved seats, we were still kind of running behind, and I was uh, rushing around trying, you know, they close off half the street, so you're have a hard time to, uh, figuring out where you need to go. And eventually I said, okay, we're close enough. We just parked the car and we got there uh, right before, got into our seats before the parade started. But as I'm sitting there waiting for the parades to start, I hear this low rumble and I'm like, is there a train that goes through the area here? And the, the rumble starts getting uh, louder and louder and then All of a sudden, everybody's looking around like, what's going on? And this B-2 stealth bomber just comes right overhead. You're like, whoa, that's awesome. And uh, and then we we went home and uh, we're playing out in the yard. And again, I hear the rumble. I'm like, oh, I bet the bomber flew over the Rose Parade when they sang the um, national anthem and and the rumble and then this come right overhead you're like whoa that thing is big and it's and it was, and it was fun to see it was it was really awesome and so i point that out as an analogy for how i want us to begin to think about uh, our sermon this morning which is on temptation Because sometimes I think we think of temptation and all we have is a a low rumble in our our minds. And we're like, you know, I I know I shouldn't be doing this, but, you know, it doesn't feel like that big of a deal. And, And temptation is before us and we're like, yeah, it's not gonna really affect anybody but myself and and, you know, God forgives me, right? And so we, uh, and this is what's going on through our minds. But I, this morning, I just want us to recognize that we might hear the low rumble in the distance. But temptation and how we handle temptation is actually a big deal. And we might not realize it in the moment, but what is happening in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, in our relationships, that low rumble that seems that it's off in the distance right now, it's coming and there is a lot more at stake in, in your temptations than you realize. I want to drive home that point this morning because I think it really, uh, when we think about our spiritual lives, so much is at stake in how you and I deal with temptation in our lives. Far more than what we may realize right now. There is far more at stake in your temptations 
then you realize how we handle temptation will affect our future. You know, it's 2020, it's 2020, and, um, and the, you, you may have all kinds of plans for your life in this upcoming year. Let me just assure you that God has even greater plans. He has wonderful things that he would love to do in your life and through you and, and uh, how he would love to use you to advance his kingdom. And your future will be affected by how you handle temptation. Your future, uh, temptation is a big deal. There is far more at stake than what you realize. Your future depends on, how, on whether you give in to temptation or you resist it. And that's the truth. It affects your family. It's not just you, even though it may be isolated. The passage we're going to look at this morning is Jesus in the wilderness all by himself. And he thinks, how does this affect anyone else? Uh, but be assured, and we know for, uh, over the big picture, uh, the low rumble came and it became huge upon us. How Jesus handled temptation affected many people. And how you and I affect temptation, uh, how you and I react to temptation affects our family, it affects our friends, it affect, affects far more relationships than just ourselves, and it also affects your faith. Know this for sure, that how you handle temptation affects your faith. How many people have walked away from the faith because they've grown cold in their love for God, or they've begun they, begin to doubt if God loves them. People say they walk away from the faith because of theological reasons or because the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites or they have all kinds of reasons. I assure you that it starts here with temptation. Because every time temptation comes into our lives and we, and we don't resist and we give in, it's a little break in our relationship with God. And you may say, oh yeah, it's, uh, it's not going to affect me very much. And so we, so we give in to temptation and then we, we feel guilty about it and we ask God for forgiveness. And temptation comes again and again we give in. And it's a one break after another break after another break until one day you think, what's the point? And we throw up our hands. How you handle temptation has serious effects on your faith. On your, on your feeling of being connected to the Lord, on your sense of your love for God and your sense of, of God's love for you, on your intimacy with Christ, uh, how we handle temptation, there is far more at stake than what we realize. It affects all areas of our lives. And so we want to look at uh, the temptation of Jesus this morning. Can you imagine... If Jesus would have given in to temptation, what kind of effect that would have had? Well, he wouldn't have been the perfect example for us. We wouldn't be looking at his example this morning. He would not have been a sinless Savior. If he would have gone to the cross, it would have been for his own sins and not for our sins. Now, rest assured, you and I are not the Messiah. Jesus had a special role to play. But also know for sure in your mind that God has uh, serious and great plans for your life. And, uh, and how we react to temptation is important. And so don't underestimate 
the value that, uh, that you have in God's plans and how you, have, how you react to temptation is important. So this is the passage before us, the temptations of Jesus. And we want to consider this for our own lives because I think that there, that there is a lot that we can learn on how we resist temptation. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13 is the passage that we are looking at. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 13. In fact, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. That's now your Bible. You take that home and you read it. As I'm going to emphasize in today's sermon, the Word of God is so important in our lives. I want us to all make sure we have our own copy of God's Word that we can read and apply to our lives. This is Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Now Luke's a medical doctor, and so he's a very smart guy. But uh, part of me just reads that, and and I kind of want to pause and say, uh, don't insult our intelligence, Luke. Obviously, he was hungry. If you hadn't eaten for 40 days, you would be hungry. And, uh, but also I think, you you know, we've invented a new word within the last decade. I got a list of words that were added to the dictionary in the last decade. You know what one of them was? Hangry. Hangry is a new word. Hangry is when you get easily angry, angry because you're hungry. And I've noticed that. I give in to temptation far more easily when I'm hungry or when I'm not well rested. And Jesus is vulnerable here. As we read these temptations, just know for sure that this is not some hypothetical. Jesus could have and uh, given into temptation. And It was a real struggle for him. Just because he is 100% God, we also know that he is 100% man. And so this is what we read about the temptation of Jesus. Verse 3, the devil said to him, You are the Son of God. Tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The third temptation, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that, you're, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put, your Lord, put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil, had, when the devil had finished all his tempting, He left him until an opportune time. So in other words, it's not like Jesus would not be tempted again, but this is the end of his temptation in this story. Let me just take half a minute and uh, ask for God's help for us as we look at his word. Let's pray.
Father God, I pray that uh, you would impress these words upon our hearts and in our lives. God, uh, even as this truth before us, uh, that is before us, we just pray for your help because we do recognize that there is far more at stake in our temptation than we realize. And so, God, we pray that you would speak to us and help us, that you would impress your word upon us. God, bring glory to yourself by drawing us into your will. God, uh, do it for your own name's sake. May you sanctify us and help us to be the people of God you want us to be. And so we pray for your help in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we just got done going through Christmas, right? And at Christmas, we recognize that Jesus came, God in human flesh, 100% God and 100% uh, human at the same time. Now, it's hard for us to get our minds around that, but I just remind us of that truth because we have to start there when we consider the temptation of Jesus. Jesus was 100%. He was fully human. And uh, as a fully human uh, person, he faced temptation. That's part of what it means to be human. All of us, you and I, for the, until we uh, no longer exist on this earth, we will be tempted. Every day you will face temptation. But I also want to emphasize that to sin is not required because you are a human. We were not created to sin. Jesus was fully human and yet he never sinned. Adam and Eve were created in the Garden of Eden to never sin. When we talk about temptation, I just want us to be really clear about something. You do not have to give in to sin. We say to err is human. Uh, To sin is not human. We're not meant to sin. We're not meant to give in to temptation. We can live uh, every temptation that comes our way. We can resist. Now, we know every one of us has given in to temptation. All of us have sinned. That's the point of the Lord's table right here uh, in front of us, and we'll We'll talk about that, but, but we must understand that we can resist temptation. Don't throw up your hands and say, oh, it's just the way I am. I have to give into it. It's my habit. It's, my, it's a relationship that I'm in. Whatever it is, we do not have to sin. We have to understand that because sometimes I don't think that that's driven into our hearts and our minds enough. We can live lives. We can resist every temptation that comes before us. And here is Jesus, as Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, that's Jesus, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Every temptation that you have ever experienced, Jesus has experienced that temptation. Did you know that? Every temptation that you have ever had, Jesus had that same temptation, and yet he did not sin. And so, uh, and so before us is our example, the sinless Savior, the sinless Lord Jesus, that we can follow in his example. Now, Jesus did not face temptation because, well, we know this for sure, because he was straying from the Lord. In fact, this story comes on the heels of his baptism in which, Jesus, in which God the Father says, This is my Son whom I love. 
With him I am well pleased. If you are seeking to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be tempted. In fact, I think you're going to be tempted more if you're seeking to live for Jesus than if you're not. There's going to be temptations that come into your life from all angles that try to pull you away from God. If you are seeking to serve the Lord in the church, if you're seeking to be a witness to Him in, the, in, the, in your life and those around you, if you're seeking to live with passion for Jesus, rest assured God, or Satan will come and attack you. He wants to draw you away from the Lord. If you are seeking God with passion and with all your heart, you can count on facing serious temptation. Jesus is walking fully in line with the Spirit, uh, with, with God the Father in, in devotion to Him, and it is the Spirit who leads Him out into the wilderness to be tempted. And so we don't get mad at God when temptation comes into our lives. But we see it as an opportunity to obey God, to find joy in obedience. The devil comes to uh, Jesus with three temptations. Three temptations that we could uh, resonate with. Three, I, I think these are kind of three categories of temptation. First there is the tempt, and, and I'll admit, I've made up these titles. I don't know if they're, they're not very catchy, but uh, the, the, it'll help us to think about this. The temptation of physical appetite. You see this here with um, Jesus being tempted to turn a stone into bread. And uh, part of me looks at that uh, that. That, that temptation towards his physical appetite, and I think, you know, what's the big deal? You, uh, you've been, you haven't had anything to eat for 40 days. Who cares? Turn the stinking stone into bread and have a good lunch. And, uh, and yet it was a temptation, a temptation that we might be able to resonate because we have all kinds of physical temptations around us all the time. I call uh, the, the ugly cousin of the temptation for, uh, of physical appetite lust. Because lust is a temptation uh, towards our physical appetites. Now we think of, sometimes think of lust as lust towards sexual sin. And that is true. That is a temptation of our physical appetites. But lust is really desiring anything that we know that the Lord does not want us to have. And so we can have a lust towards sex. We can have a lust towards money. We can have a lust towards pleasure. We can have a lust towards material things. Uh, things that we know that God does not want us to have. And they, appe and they appeal to what we think will satisfy us. It is a temptation towards our physical appetites. And, the, and what we must do is deny ourselves. To say, no, that's not how I'm going to live. Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone. Man does not live on any of these physical appetites alone. But we deny, deny ourselves. Why? So that we might have more delight in the Lord. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Forever, whoever, loses, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. In other words, we deny ourselves 
our physical appetites that we know to be sinful so that we might have the life of Christ. Let me just emphasize this one point because this is so crucial for us to being able to uh, resist temptation. You have to get this stuck in your mind that the life lived with Jesus is far better than any lustful temptation that can come before us. See, lustful temptations come before us and they seem to be so full of pleasure. They seem to satisfy. They think if we have this, we will, uh, th- it'll bring some sort of pleasure into our life, some sort of joy or happiness. We deny ourselves because we know for sure that life with Christ is better than what that, is, what that sin offers. It's the temptation of physical appetite. The second temptation that comes before Jesus is the temptation for authority and glory. He's brought up before the, uh, all the kingdoms of the world are brought before him in one flash, in a moment in his mind's eye. Satan says, you can have it all. You can have all the authority and the glory of all the kingdoms of the world. And, uh, and we might uh, have similar type of temptations It's the temptation to be well thought of. It's the temptation to have control in our lives, to be able to have power and success. And maybe that doesn't uh, speak quite to you, but think about uh, this temptation's ugly cousin. Pride is its ugly cousin. Because pride says, I want to be well thought of. I want to think well of myself. I want to control the world around me. And so many of us struggle with pride. It is a a temptation for authority and glory, a temptation to uh, control the circumstances of our lives, the things in our lives, the people in our lives. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Satan comes to us. And he gives us these temptations. And they can be subtle in the moment. They can even be like a flash of a vision in our minds. Like I think it was for Jesus here. And it's just there. And will we give in to it? Will we seek uh, to take our lives into our own hands? When the Bible teaches us to submit to the Lord. And the third temptation is a temptation to use God for personal gain. To use God for personal gain. The devil takes uh, Jesus up to the highest point of the temple and it says, throw yourself off and the angels will come and rescue you. And, uh, and this is a temptation that can sneak into our lives the longer we are Christians. Because we begin to see our relationship with God like a transaction, like a business deal. I was in the um, mechanic this week and have that TV going on. I, I hate that stupid TV. I want to <laughs> think about other things, the noise of that TV in the corner. Uh, but the TV show is Let's Make a Deal. And that's how we can, uh, and that's how we can view our relationship with God. God, you got to bless me. 
I've done this, this, and this this week. God, I promise I won't do this anymore if you'll do this for me. Its ugly cousin is legalism. We turn, uh, we turn our relationship with God into uh, dealings. And, uh, and it destroys our relationship with God. Our relationship with God was never meant to be legalistic. It was meant to be a love relationship. And Satan comes and he wants to distort. He wants to poison that relationship that we have with the Lord. And so he uh, plants seeds into our minds of trying to make uh, deals with the Lord. I want to emphasize before we go on any farther that uh, Satan is real. Satan is not some figment of our imagination. In fact, one of Satan's temptations may be to try to convince us that he doesn't really exist. Satan is real. He is the one who comes to try to draw us away from the Lord. The Bible calls him the father of lies. Everything he speaks to us is a lie. He tells us that our life will be better if we live this way. He tells us that we can finally get gratification if we just react and tell this person off like we want them want to. He tells us that if we, uh, he tells us that this sin is not so bad. Just what, we can let it hide in the corner of our lives. And uh, he's the father of lies. He's always telling us lies. It's that way from the Garden of Eden when he comes uh, to Adam and Eve. He, he's full of lies. He's the father of lies. The Bible says that he is a thief that comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan comes and he wants to destroy your life. He wants to rob you of God's goodness in your life. He is a destroyer of your life. He is your accuser. He stands before God accusing you and, and, uh, and telling and, and speaking uh, all the things that you have done wrong before God. He accuses, your, he accuses your own spirit, telling you that you surely could not be loved. You surely could not be a child of God. He accuses us. The Bible calls him your enemy, your tempter. He calls him the evil one. He is a thief that robs all, uh, all of God's goodness and grace in your life. Satan is real and he is powerful. But I also want to drive this home. Satan is powerful, but he is not all-powerful. Satan has no power over your life. Paul makes it very clear that we are no longer masters to sin. Satan is powerful, but he is not, he is not all-powerful. His temptations are strong, but they can be resisted. And so we need to talk about Satan for who he really is. We need to talk about temptations as they really are so that we can be motivated to say, I'm going to seek God with all my heart in 2020. I'm going to seek the Lord and I'm going to live for Him. I'm going to resist temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13, a verse I memorized a, a long time ago and I have fallen back on many times. No temptation, has, no temptation has overcome you except what is common to man and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but he will provide a way out, a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. Satan is, is, is uh, powerful, but he is not all-powerful. Um, this is the image that came to mind as I was thinking about this. Remember the movie The Wizard of Oz? Dorothy and the Tin Man and the Lion and um, the Scarecrow. 
uh, come before the great and powerful Oz. And uh, here's the clip, just to remind you. I said, come back tomorrow. If you are really great and powerful, you'll keep your promise. Do not presume to criticize the great odds. You ungrateful creatures think yourselves lucky that I'm giving you audience tomorrow instead of 20 years from now. The great odds has spoken. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. I am the great and powerful Wizard of Oz. You are? Uh, I don't believe you. No, I'm afraid it's true. There's no other wizard except me. You humbug! Uh, yes, yes, exactly so. I'm a humbug. Oh, you're a very bad man. All right. My favorite line is in there when he says, Pay no attention to the guy behind the closet or behind the curtain. And that's my challenge to us. Pay no attention to Satan. He might appear, the temptation may appear very strong. Pay no attention to him. He's not all powerful. He has no control in your life. The temptations that come before you, you have no obligation to give in to those. You can live a godly life in Christ Jesus by the word of God and by the Holy Spirit that lives in you. Pay no attention to Satan. In fact, speak to him and say, Satan, you're not going to destroy my life. You're not going to destroy my future. You're not going to destroy my family. You're not going to destroy my faith. And we can resist temptation. The, the guy behind the curtain is very small. He has no power in your life. And these temptations that we continue to give in, may, uh, give into, may we look them full in, the, in with all clarity and with our spiritual eyes, and we, may we say that lust will not bring me the life that I want to live. To give in to that, uh, to continue to have that conversation with someone is not going to bring the joy that God wants to bring into my life. We look straight into the temptation. We say, I'm not going to be mastered by it any longer. And we submit ourselves. We deny ourselves. We humble ourselves. And we turn to the Lord and we ask for His help. And we know that we are not obligated. The guy behind the curtain is a very small man. He's got a powerful voice. But it's a low rumble and it comes before us. But just guess what? The stealth bomber did not drop any bombs. And Jesus may come, or I mean Satan may come and he may appear to be huge. But as the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He has no power to drop the bombs in your life. We belong to Jesus. Satan is the man behind the curtain. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There is more at stake in your temptation than you think. God has wonderful plans for your life. And so much of it hangs on, your, on your, uh, the way you handle temptation. Let me go through uh, two more points and then, I, and then we will turn to the Lord's Supper. Uh, the, the next point I want to make is your ability to resist temptation has a lot to do with your confidence in God. Do you really believe 
God is who he says he is. Do you really believe that God can do what he says he can do? There are many who have walked away from the faith because uh, they've lost confidence in God. That relationship has been broken so many times, they say, forget it, it's not worth it. And I just want to remind you that it is worth it. That a relationship with God is the best life possible. Your ability to resist temptation has a lot to do with your confidence in God. And so declare your confidence in the Lord again. And then lastly, the word of God in your heart is a sword to fight off the temptations of the devil. The word of God in your heart is a sword to fight off the temptations of the devil. Every time Jesus was tempted in this passage, every time, all three temptations, he counters it with a quotation from Scripture. Did you notice that? Uh, He says in verse 4, Man shall not live on bread alone, which uh, my footnote says is Deuteronomy 8.3. Verse 8. Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only is Deuteronomy 6.13. Verse 12, do not put the Lord your God to the test is Deuteronomy 6.16. Anyone want to guess where Jesus was having His devotions when He was in the wilderness? My guess is out of Deuteronomy. And uh, namely, chapters 6 through 8. Uh, but and, and I don't know if that's the case, obviously, but I have, I've noticed that when I'm in God's Word regularly, He plants those, those verses in my mind exactly what I need for that moment or that day. And, and I just want to encourage us to, to remember that as, as the Bible says, the Word of God, the word of God is, a, is sharper than any double-edged sword. This, this helps us be able to resist the temptations of the evil one. And uh, I want to encourage you that one of the things that you devote yourself to in this new year is to have time in God's Word every day. Now, some of you may think, I can't read God's Word. It's so hard to understand. I don't even know where the books of the Bible are. Uh, I don't have any of the background information. I'm going to teach you in just two minutes how you can uh, read God's Word and it will help you resist the temptations of the devil. In a, and it, it's a very simple way. This, in fact, this is what I do in uh, my, what I call my personal devotions every day. This is how I uh, read God's Word. Now, th- again, this is a very simple way. There are times in our lives where we want to study God's Word in depth and we're going we're gonna to dig into it and we're going to ask a lot of questions. Um, and uh, I've got a lot of background, biblical and theological studies background. You know, I was a... Here's, I'm, I'm off on a tangent, but let me... I was a double major and a double minor in college. 
I was, now think about the diversity of my field of study. I was a biblical studies major and a pastoral studies major. I was ancient languages minor, simply so I could take Greek and Hebrew, and I was a Christian education minor. Talk about having a lot of, a lot of area. They're all in the same area. And uh, so basically I took four, and then I, I got a master, I've got a master's of divinity. I've got a doctor of ministry. And all that to say is I, I've studied the Bible a lot, but here I'm about to teach you the very best way to read the God's Word. And you don't have to be a student. You don't have to have any sort of background. This is how you read God's Word every day. You take a, you're, you're reading through a book of the Bible. So maybe you're reading through Luke, and you're going to take one section a day. So my Bible has subtitles. Luke 4, 1 through 13 that we're looking at this morning is one section. That's your section for the day. You're not trying to get through five chapters. There may be seasons for that. I'm not criticizing that. But here, but here is what I do. I read that section, and before I read it, I ask the Lord, God, give me what I need for today. Direct me to what you would have me to hold on to today. And then I read it slowly, and I try to pay attention to what my heart resonates with. And after I've uh, read it through once, I pause and I ask God, what do you have for me today? Give me one uh, verse or phrase. And then I go and I underline that in my Bible. And I take out my notebook, a journal, and I write that phrase. And then I just begin to journal about what God may be saying to me uh, from that, that phrase. And that inevitably turns into prayer, and I'll write out my prayer to God. And I have been amazed at how many times just that very simple Bible study uh, will be exactly what I need at some point that day. Temptation will come, a, a, a trial will come, and, a, and, and immediately what comes to mind is the phrase from God's Word that He gave me for that day. Now, I'm not saying that this is the best way to study the Bible all the time. This is a very simple way that you can keep up all the time. I'll admit, I spend like maybe 15, 20 minutes on a normal day in God's Word. Just reading it, and journaling about it, and praying about it. And, uh, and the more time you give, the better. But even that small amount of time, God will equip you to take God's word into your life and to fight off the attacks of the, of the evil one. And uh, so I just want to encourage us that there is more at stake in your temptations than what you realize. But take heart. God has given you everything you need to be able to resist those temptations. He's given you his word and he's given you uh, his Holy Spirit He's given you this church family. He's given you reminders of how much he loves you. And that is enough that we may be able that we might live uh, godly lives in Christ Jesus. Let me pray, and as I do, I'll invite the ushers to come forward and to prepare for the Lord's Supper.
Father God, I, first of all, I want to just thank you for Jesus and the example that he sets for us, that we can learn how to resist temptation in our lives and, uh, and have hope that it is possible, that there is nothing too big, that, uh, that you always provide a way of escape for us so that we can stand up under it. And um, God, I pray not only for the example of Jesus, but I also thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. That when we have given in to temptation, you have offered us forgiveness through the work of Jesus on the cross. And so now with this piece of bread and with this cup, we are reminded of your body that was broken and your blood that was shed. And I pray that in the few moments that we have in the quietness of this uh, sanctuary, we might be able to reflect upon that and rededicate our lives to you to live in faithfulness to you and to know that no matter what you love us with unconditional love, our relationship with you is more like a father and a child or like, uh, or like two good friends that have each other's back than it is like a slave and a master or a, or a legalistic uh, relationship. And so, God, we thank you that you love us so much. We pray that we would just be able to rejoice in that as we take this Lord's Supper together. In Jesus' name, amen.